This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program here on KDVS. It's our great pleasure to be heard weekly through the offices of the good people here in Lower Freeborn Hall. We've been doing this for about five and a half years and look forward to doing it, well, a lot longer. We have a very special guest for today's program, which will occupy uh, most of segments B and C. That would be the legendary mathematician and physicist, Dr. Freeman Dyson, who came to UC Davis uh, this last month to help us celebrate uh, the campus's 100th anniversary. Freeman Dyson is noted for being quite, quite a visionary, and uh, his, his visit here uh, was accompanied by numerous chats with uh, the people in the physics department and, and, well, a lot of departments. I know that there is a class that was conducted here studying Robert Oppenheimer, uh, really a legend of physics, and it's, of course, nice to note that uh, Freeman Dyson used to work for Robert Oppenheimer. Knew the man personally quite well. He knew also a lot of the other illustrious names of 20th century physics. So a chat with him is something we've been looking forward to for a long time. And although we'll talk a little bit about the election before we're done, frankly, we're tired of political discussions. And a really welcoming break from that, which, which will be most of today's show. But let us start off as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today, of course, is November 6th, and it was on November 6th in 1455 that Johannes Gutenberg, the German inventor of movable type and printer of the first typeset Bible, lost his print shop in a lawsuit with a creditor. Ouch. And on November 6th in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected as the 16th president of the United States. He was the first Republican to win the office, and the southern states, which had been threatening succession if he was elected, well, went ahead with their threat. By the time of Lincoln's inauguration, the following March 4th, seven rebellious states had already formed the Confederate States of America. Curiously, those same Confederate states voted in block in 2000 and 2004 to elect what we'd call one of the successors to President Jefferson Davis, President George W. Bush. However, that, uh, that solid South uh, monolith uh, was broken up by Barack Obama this week, which could mark a political change uh, in the future. And finally, it was on November 6, 1917, that Bolshevik party leader Vladimir Lenin launched a bloodless coup, or an almost bloodless coup, against Russia's ineffectual provisional government in the Russian capital of Petrograd. Bolshevik Russia was renamed the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics and was the world's first Marxist state. And I can't help but note that at this point in the world, about the only place you're going to find Marxist states are North Korea, Cuba, and the Berkeley City Council. And of course, we must note that on this date in history, two days ago, the first African-American president was elected here in these United States. On January 20th, if all goes according to plan, Barack Obama will be sworn in as the nation's 44th president. As mentioned a moment ago, uh, 
the Confederacy and some of the Rocky Mountain states uh, were solidly red in the last two elections. The team behind George W. Bush was, was able to put together just enough states, with the help of a little bit of election chicanery, to barely get him over the 270 electoral votes needed to make him president. We had noticed, we've, no, we've noted on this show in, in the past few weeks that it looked pretty certain that Obama was going to hang on to all of the states won by John Kerry in 2004. And it looked as though he was going to pick up Iowa and New Mexico, both carried by Al Gore, in 2000. This was going to leave him just six votes short of 270, which meant basically that John McCain had to hang on to every state that went red four years ago, but could only afford to lose four votes, because if he lost five votes, it would be a 269-269 tie. A tie would have gone to the House, and the House would have nevertheless elected Obama president. In fact, McCain failed to carry numerous states that went red four years ago, among them Nevada, Colorado, Virginia, Ohio, and Florida, along with, surprisingly, Indiana. And that, folks, was all she wrote. Here in California, the most most controversial and, and emotional ballot issue, that of Proposition 8, a proposal to ban gay marriage by putting that into the California state constitution passed by a narrow margin. Californians also supported a bond measure to get some high-speed rail going here in California. Uh, We voters rejected an effort to get parental notification, another effort to, uh, to gum up the works when it comes to therapeutic abortions. And Proposition 2, a measure that would require uh, uh, the housing of farm animals to at least, you know, provide for those animals being, being able to get up and stretch their limbs, that, that passed by a pretty good margin. Whether this will cause, uh, you know, uh, egg production to have to shift to Mexico now, uh, well, that, that remains to be seen. We'll, we'll watch that. At any rate, there was much, uh, much to be thankful for in terms of uh, the much-desired change uh, on this election cycle, and, and frankly, we've had it up to our eyebrows with election discussions, and would like to spend the rest of today's program talking about other stuff. You can rest assured that between now and Inauguration Day, we will have uh, much more to say about uh, the way things are headed politically in the U.S. of A. and here in California. Our quote of the day, we've used it before, but I just think it's so appropriate we have to use it again. Our quote comes from former Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev, who once said, Politicians are the same all over. They promise to build a bridge even when there is no river. And our quip of the day, which frankly we're going to recycle also from previous shows, which is kind of the theme of today's show anyway, was from Paul Johnson, who once said, It's a fact of life that any discourse on any subject, whatever the occasion and whenever the status of the speaker, will always please if it is five minutes shorter than people expect. All right, jokes of the day. We have two quick ones come uh, from uh, Jay Leno and Stephen Colbert from the weeks before the election. Said Jay Leno, According to recent news reports, Bill Clinton has now become an advisor to Barack Obama. Bill Clinton is giving advice to Barack Obama. You know who's really upset about this? Michelle Obama. And said Colbert, More Republicans are endorsing Barack Obama. Great. Now Republicans will have to suppress their own turnout. 
Our stat of the day, in 2007, Wall Street's five biggest firms, Bear Stearns, Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, and Morgan Stanley. <laughs> yeah, well, those are the five biggest firms on Wall Street. They paid out $39 billion, that's with a B, in employee bonuses, while their shareholders lost $74 billion, also with a B, over the same period. Yeah, it's come up before. Well, why, why are they paying all those bonuses if the company's going in the toilet? It's a fair question to ask, and we don't have the answer. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for everyone who wants to see a change from George W. Bush's policies with the election of Barack Obama. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for excuses. After an Oregon teenager said she didn't see the police officer trying to pull her over for driving 107 miles an hour because she was too busy talking on her cell phone. Man, that might be the worst excuse of the year. And you may have heard about this one. It was an ugly week last week for modern technology. After a passenger on a French high-speed railroad line got his arm stuck in their high-tech suction toilet. The man, who was in the process of reaching for his dropped cell phone, had to be removed from the train with the toilet still attached to his arm, causing a two-hour delay in commuter services. And from the Only in America file, we have the following item, to which we're also indebted to The Week magazine. Yes, reportedly an aide to the governor of New York is blaming a $300,000 unpaid tax bill on what's being called a rare medical condition called late-filing syndrome. Yes, a lawyer for Charles O'Brien, an aide to Governor David Patterson, said his client is psychologically incapable of filing his tax return every April. According to attorney Richard Kestenbaum, most of those affected with LFS, like O'Brien, are highly functional people who otherwise complete all the other ordinary tasks of life. Well, I'll believe that one when I see it listed in the DSM-5. And I, I can't resist this one, so it's got to be the Only in America file, Part B. Apparently, a Florida family who decorated their house with flags and balloons to welcome home their daughter from Iraq had the decorations confiscated by their housing association. The parents of Lauren Boitet, who had served 15 months in Iraq, say association officials told them the flags and welcome home signs might be construed as a political statement in support of the war and thus violated their rules. Said Boitet, I'm just glad to be home. Let's take a moment now to hear from our good pal, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I just want to say, time to turn the page. It's a brand new day. And what just a few months ago might have seemed unlikelier than tinfoil lingerie, an African-American, Barack Obama, has been elected the 44th president of the United States of America. 
But it wasn't just the white wine sipping NPR listening, Birkenstock wearing Volvo driving crowd that got him elected. This was a liberal, independent, and people pretty much permanently pissed off with the general direction the country's headed in coalition. Even rednecks jumped on the Obama bandwagon. Hey, don't you forget it now. He's half-watt, too. Barack's biggest problem may be he has no visible faults. Yeah, he's a little stiff, but you go 20 months head-to-head with Hillary Clinton and then John McCain, <laughs> you're going to tighten up a bit, too. And I know at times he can seem arrogant, but you know what? He's smart. And we already tried arrogant and stupid, and that didn't work. Which reminds me, we can't forget the man who made this all possible, who ensured that America was not just hungry, but literally starving for change, George W. Bush. In a funny way, Barack owes his presidency to W. And in comparisons with his predecessor, Barack Obama should fare pretty well. Because face it, folks, in the last couple of years, Bush didn't just lower the bar, he buried it. And the only digging marks you can see is the open grave destined to entomb Bush's legacy. <laughs> For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. He is, ladies and gentlemen, America's foremost political comic, and we're pleased that we can bring you him every week. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax, and let's take a short break. You can see that Pierre did truly love the Mademoiselle. 